What up, what up, San Luis Obispo? Welcome back. On this episode, we talk to Walt Lafke. Who is he? I didn't know for the podcast, but afterwards, this man is an absolute legend. He is 20 years old, a sophomore at Cal Poly, starting an agricultural business that could change the entire world. Walt is a young entrepreneur, CEO, and founder of his company called Harvestly. Harvestly is an online marketplace where local organic farmers can post their produce and get it directly delivered to your door. In the next coming months, I think we're going to see Harvestly drastically changing the way this city does produce. Its goal is to bring farmers more profits and you better produce. Walt's ideas are truly futuristic and I think have the potential to change the entire world. We really love talking to him and I hope you enjoy. This is Sam Lewis of Disposed Podcast, featuring locals, legends, and leaders. Welcome to Slow Pod. Hello, San Luis Obispo, and welcome to episode six of the San Luis Obispo podcast. I'm sitting here with my homie, Emerson Trout. Emerson, how are you? I'm doing absolutely wonderful today. We are here with Walter Lafke from Harvest Co. How are you doing today? Uh, we're doing pretty good. How are you guys? Good. Driving. Excellent. Driving. Day out. Feels like summertime. Walt, what is your company? So the parent company is AgriConnect Corp. And so AgriConnect was founded by me... Um, about six months ago and two other Cal Poly students. And the whole idea is to bring consumers better connected to agriculture in the U.S. And the way we started doing this was through creating a, a marketplace where people can actually go to connect and actually order um, lo- local, locally produced goods, whether that's um, tomatoes or cheese, right? We, we connect consumers to local producers either local farmers or we consider them artisans which would be like a creamery and so <laughs> we started doing this about six months ago with um, in-house coding so we started coding the whole project uh, about six months ago with um, our whole team so I, 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 I am the acting CEO and then we have two other main um, officers which is um, we have a chief technology officer whose name is Hari Krishna, and he basically managed all of the coding. So he managed a team of about five coders, and we built out an app and a website all in-house for about $1,000. And so once we had the app put together, we kind of worked together, and we were like, what, what should we do? And we decided that we should roll out like a proof of concept and see if it actually works. So that was about a month and a week ago. And so we rolled out what we called AgriConnect. And AgriConnect was just the app and the website, which acted as a marketplace to connect local vendors to consumers in San Luis Obispo County. It went crazy, and we had we went from about five users to almost 200 in a matter of like three weeks. And then we started to run into issues with the app because we built it as a proof of concept, and we did not expect to have that many users. So then we kind of all got together and we're like, what do we do now? Because this, the app and the website is crashing because we have so many people on it. So we decided to actually totally rebrand and rebuild the marketplace as Harvestly. So in two weeks, we launched a whole new website. We built out a whole new algorithm and we, we launched Harvestly. And so far, we're about, we're about a week into Harvestly. That's awesome. And were all of those people who essentially you had working on this project were those sourced from cal poly like people you knew or did you go out and set flyers out or online ads yeah so everybody that's been working on agri connect slash harvestly is from cal poly so um right now we have about a team a, a team of 10 in san luis obispo um some of them are quarantining elsewhere but right. they you know they're all from san luis obispo or they went to cal poly um so we're building out that team really based from cal poly 
That's that's awesome. Have you heard of like the Hot House? Do you know what the Hot House is? Yeah. You guys so, applied there? Yeah, we've been approached by the Hot House a couple times. We haven't totally decided if we want to, um, you know, to the extent that we want to work with them. Um, we, we are a little bit different than your atypical, you know, corporation or technology company because we have at the center of it my goals are very humanitarian and ethical to connect people to food and get to get them better access to food so you know we're not going to be driving a a heavy profit for a couple years and i don't really want outside influence on that um but if if people come to us and say okay your goals are awesome we want to work with you then that i would work with them yeah so it seems like you guys aren't trying to just push profits and make growth you're trying to really instill the small thing you have here in San Luis Obispo and grow it organically. Yeah, exactly. So the whole business model is based off, um, we call it kind of organic, um, organic growth. And we, we do that with, um, something called the node theory and the node theory is kind of secret. I came up with it. Basically we want to restrict sales and restrict transactions from within a county. So, you can't buy food from without from outside of San Luis Obispo County right now on our on our marketplace, and basically we're going to go node hopping across the whole U.S. We have about 300 nodes planned across the whole U.S. right now, um, and as soon as we get San Luis Obispo locked tight and we have the plan totally figured out, we will go down to Santa Barbara County, and mm. it works the same exact way. You can only source food from within your county. And then, and so we have about two years of nodes planned right now, and then we have a different plan for um, kind of food deserts and stuff and, and places where you can't necessarily source all the food that you need in your county. Interesting. So basically, it's a package. Once you get it down for San Luis Obispo, just pick it up, drop it in another town, and you already know how to do it. The same pitfalls, the same challenges. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. So that's the whole scalable business model because in today's world, to run a uh, what we you know we we are a SaaS business model, so we're we're operating at eighty to ninety percent gross margins. And but but the biggest question is how do you scale that model? And this is how we scale it. And it is it, it is a logistical nightmare in some ways, but we're we're actively trying to solve that logistical piece in San Luis Obispo before we deploy outwards. Um, like just this last week, we kind of we started operating a node in Los Angeles, kind of without me really uh, trying to market there or anything, because we are a decentralized platform. So any vendor can come on and sign up. They have to be verified by me. So I verified this um, this person who was making juice in, in Los Angeles, and I didn't really know what was going to happen, but she started getting transactions in LA, and she started doing her own deliveries. So we kind of started operating in Los Angeles without me really doing anything because that is the perfect scalable decentralized marketplace. I ended up shutting it down because I don't think we're ready to go out to another node yet, but I wanted to see how it worked and it works kind of perfectly. That's actually incredible. That's really impressive. And for those of you listening, Walt, you're 20 years old, you're a sophomore in college. You seem to have incredible business knowledge. And we were reading in your bio that you had kind of started way back when in your parents' garden, selling tomatoes to local restaurants and family friends, and you upscaled that to almost a thousand pounds a week. How did you kind of get into this sort of business realm? What kind of got you there? So, you know, I talk about a lot of people have tried what we're doing, which is kind of a digital marketplace for farmer's market. In a sense, that's what it is. There's one thing that every single you know, person who has tried to do this does not have, and that is actual insider knowledge to what it is like to be a local farmer. So I started farming uh, about six years ago now. With I started with $50, and I just planted some tomatoes and kind of waited to see what happened. And then four years later, we had three employees, and we were delivering about 1,000 pounds of tomatoes a week. So And it was called Wally's Tomatoes. It grew pretty quickly. But along the way, I found out all these issues in the, in kind of the local agriculture system. And even though I was delivering a much better product than anybody else, I wasn't necessarily making more money than anybody else. So when I, over those five years that I was growing the tomatoes, I was kind of brainstorming in my head, how can I fix these problems? Uh, one of the biggest problems is when you're a local farmer and you don't have access to consumers very easily, uh, you get about 50 cents on a dollar for what a distributor is going to go sell that product for. So I would bring my tomatoes to a, to a farmer's stand, and I would get 
about a dollar fifty a pound, and he would turn around and sell them for about four dollars a pound. And they they need to do that because they have loss and they have other issues that um, they need to cover. The that's that's how they cover the cost. They they upcharge, and they make a margin. So when I started thinking about how we can fix this, is you you need to get rid of the margin. Um, as a distributor, you're not gonna make too much money on the food, right? You can't make a margin on food. It's a bad idea, and it's kind of how our agricultural system has been operating for a century. How do you make a margin on the food? Um, and I decided that that's not the answer. We have to make money on a platform. We can't make money on the food. So AgriConnect is designed around cutting out the middleman in the entire local agriculture system. So when a v local vendor comes to sign up, they can add products and they actually get 95% of the revenue generated from each sale. So we cut out the middleman and they can get retail prices at wholesale quantity because we have so much traffic on the website. Okay, I see. I see. I kind of see what you're doing. The vision. I'm. I'm with you. So instead of a farm going and giving a distributor fifty cents on the dollar or something like that, they can collect essentially ninety five percent of the end profits for themselves by using you as like a low cut middleman, and they can simply more like, of just a platform to, for direct sales, right? Exactly. Like, say he's the farmer. You're uh, the platform. I'm communicating with you through his platform. Right, but you're still distributing it like you're delivering it or are they delivering it so yeah in or some both. In, in both actually in some cases we are delivering it just because we want right now we are delivering it not we're delivering probably 60 percent of the sales um just because i i really as a ceo i've decided that um, right now i really want the customer you know acquisition and interaction because i want to talk to these customers and i want to hear what their feedback is and i want to get to know them um i know that's a you know, customer service is kind of our number one priority, um, other than maybe, you know, farmer service, like talking to the farmers. Um, so in, in, in the 40% of the other cases, you have about 20%, the vendors are doing their own deliveries, and I actually just add the delivery fee to their earnings. Um, and then in the other 20%, it's local pickup. So if someone orders, they can actually just communicate with the farmer and say, oh, when can I come pick up my order? And that has been, that's probably, you know, after the whole pandemic thing is over, that's probably where we'll see most of the transactions occur is, you know, how, how can I come pick up my product that I ordered? And then logistically, like, when is it going to be fulfilled? And, um, you know, how does that transaction occur? And so that's what we've been really working on and building out right now for when the pandemic ends. And we've been testing it. And this week we had six transactions that were local pickups. So someone actually went to the farm, picked up what they ordered, and then drove off. That's cool. Um, do you guys see yourself ever doing delivery on a large scale? So that is a big question. And I really don't want to get into the business of doing delivery because uh, with food, you have a lot of liability if you are carrying it. Um, as a business, we don't actually carry the title for any of the products, but it still brings in liability when you know we actually take the food from point A to point B. So on a larger scale, I don't want to do the deliveries, but in some cases we have to. Um, the overhead for delivery is also pretty high because you have to buy trucks and yeah. refrigeration units and all that. Um, I know, I'm sure you know this, we did like a little research on our own. Like there's two main sort of competing companies. If you could consider them competing companies, do you slow veg and tally farm boxes? Yeah. How are you different? You know, what are you doing differently than them? So, for um, Tally Farms and also for Slow Veg, they are you know a typical CSA subscription box. So that means you can go on their website and subscribe, and you get a box of vegetables every week or a box of fruits, whatever. Um, you know you can't buy cheese on there. You can't buy anything else. And and what you know they're doing exactly what I created AgriConnect to to stop. Okay. Um, they are giving people, <laughs> they're giving local farms about uh, I think it's about twenty five cents on the dollar for what they're reselling the product for. Um, so. I have a couple examples, but, you know, with a farmer, you know, he he might be getting a dollar from slow veg for, you know, one unit of a product. I'm giving him $4 per unit. Um, so that's really the difference that I designed AgriConnect slash Harvestly for is to get these farmers retail prices and to not get kind of um, cut out by the distributor because they're not necessarily making a very good product a profit on a uh, dollar per unit versus four dollars per unit mm -hmm. it's becoming really apparent actually how dedicated you are to the vision of changing the way all this is going on 
like you're saying, it's not making profit. It's actually about having local farmers deliver to the local residents. Where do you see this going in the future? Is it just going to be everyone who wants vegetables or cheese or whatever else is in the community going there? Like that's the main way people get food in a community? Yeah, so we define a consumer as an individual like you or a restaurant or a grocery store. So the beauty of AgriConnect or Harvestly is that we cut out a lot of pieces of the supply chain. So even if you're a grocery store, you know, there is a possibility that you can get a product cheaper on our platform because we don't have to pay you know, delivery service. We don't have to pay a distributor. We go direct to the farmer. So if you cut out that entire aspect of the supply chain, you can actually decrease prices because... You're not, you're not, you're not making a margin on the food. That's that's what it comes back to. Because every single piece of the agriculture supply chain, someone is trying to make a margin on the food. So whether it's five pieces or four pieces, you know, it, it all comes down to someone. Everyone has to make a margin somewhere, and so that adds up to the price. So if you cut out, you know, that whole aspect of uh, those pieces in the middle, you can actually decrease the price. Um, so when you're talking about who we want to serve, is it's really anybody who wants good food. And our end goal is to give better access to people kind of nationwide to really good food, to make them healthier, um, to, to improve the um, population's health is really where we see that going. It seems like a perfect place to start it in California, too, because we have such an excess of produce for farms around here. Do you specifically retail like mom and pa farms or do you go for big corporate farms, too? So, yeah, I'm trying to cut out the big corporate farms. Um, that It's an aggressive stance that we've taken on that, but I don't necessarily believe in, you know, having 200 acres of strawberries and having, you know, minimum wage, pick, minimum wage workers pick them all. I believe in something called that I've kind of created over the last couple of years. It's, it's a term called Beyond Organic, and I started that term when I started growing my tomatoes. And it was... You know, it's all about, you know, practicing the same organic techniques that are in a certification to be certified organic, you know, no pesticides and, um, and testing our water for, you know, chemicals and all that kind of stuff. But going a step beyond that and saying, okay, how are you ethically growing your food? And I don't consider commercial farms as growing their food ethically. And that's something that I really want to uh, build harvestly on is how can we better ethically source our food so if you're sourcing it from one of our biggest farms um, that's on the platform right now is in in pepper creek uh, it's in arroyo grande and it's called pepper creek family farms and the the main farmer there her name is jessica and she picks everything herself and she she cares deeply about her customers and she cares deeply about the product that she's producing and that is the perfect kind of vendor that I want on the platform. Someone who cares about their product and someone who is actually, you know, putting in the hours to um, get that product from the farm to the customer. That absolutely makes sense. I mean, the more someone seems to care about their product, obviously the higher quality it's going to be, the more you can trust their product because if they're putting themselves into it, they are going to want to represent themselves to that product. And touching on when you said certified organic, two things actually. One, if someone is growing tomatoes in their backyard like you were, what does it take to actually put that to market? Do you have to get that certified? Like, could I grow tomatoes in my backyard and then sell it on your platform? Or do I have to get certified through something? And then secondly, are you looking to sort of create a scale where companies would come to you and it's like, I would like to be certified beyond organic. Like, would you come to me and I would like you to give me a rating? And that way they can sort of build their brand around your rating system. Yeah, so I've talked about that for a couple of years now in, in that I want to, I, I do want to create a certification called uh, Beyond Organic. Um, and that would be a certification um, listed by Harvestly. Um, and, and I would come up with the criteria for that, you know, ethically grown. And you do meet all the organic certification requirements. Um, going back to the organic certification, I have a pretty strong stance on it. I do believe in organic certification, and I, I have a lot of examples where it does work well and it is you know, providing a transparent, good product. But I see in the U.S. it has become more of a marketing scheme than anything. So what um, the organic certification is, the main, the main idea 
there is that you haven't been, you're not using pesticides or herbicides or insecticides, and you haven't been using them for three years on the property that you're growing. That is the main criteria. And to meet that requirement is really not that hard. Uh, a lot of people can meet that requirement um, because you can use other, not necessarily chemicals, but you can use other elements that are harmful to humans but are naturally occurring. So they are, by definition, organic, mm. if you just look at the periodic table. Like, there are very harmful things on there, but they are organic. Um, <laughs> so going off that, I, I don't necessarily think that we we will ever require you to be certified organic to be on the platform. When you talk about, can I grow tomatoes in my backyard and sell them on the platform? That is where I want to get to. Um, but there are some legal issues with that as far as, you know, insuring your, yeah. your product. And, and you, if you are, you know, a real company, a sole proprietor, whatever. Um, but my goal in a lot of ways with AgriConnect and Harvesty is to be able to make everybody in the U.S. Um, start farming and start lo like local scale farming because really right now if you don't grow on at least 10 acres you're not going to make any money because of the agriculture system that we have set up the whole thing about you know having the whole supply chain and every single middleman through that and you don't make money because of that so if we can fix that I think you know you can start growing in your backyard and there are a lot of different solutions that we want to pull, uh, put out to the market over the next couple of years that will give you the ability to farm in your backyard and sell it on our platform. That's actually, like, first of all, genius. Great job. <laughs> um, but going to that rating system, we had another company on, I fix it, this uh, box over here, and they've sort of they've grown to a point where companies come to them now and say, hey, Try our product. Tell us how sustainable it is, how how well it, you can fix it, how easy it is to fix. Give us an index. And if it's bad, we're going to go back and redo it. For your rating system, do you eventually want to be someone where companies have to come to you in order to get a sort of market for organics? Like, Yeah, in some ways, but we consider ourselves a decentralized model. So I, I don't, you know, want to push any like, you know, really tough requirements on people. I want it to be decentralized. And that's the whole aspect there. But on the rating system, I do want to have a rating system. Right now, we have a waiting list of about, uh, I think, 12 vendors to get on the platform. So already, we've seen this kind of, you know, consumers know that our pro the products that are offered on our platform are amazing, and they are fresh, and they are natural. And there are a lot of vendors already in San Luis Obispo County that want to have that reputation. And kind of instantly, that reputation is reinforced as soon as they come onto our platform. But for them to come onto our platform, I need to visit their farm and kind of verify all of that. And as we scale across the country, that is going to be, you know, how do we do that rating system on a large scale? Because, you know, I can't, it's unreasonable to think that I'm going to go to every single vendor in the country. And going off that, though, we do want to institute competition on our platform. So just like when you order from DoorDash or Grubhub, you're kind of choosing between um, restaurants. And we want to institute competition on our platform to um, for you know creative destruction. We want people to produce a better product, and we want the people who are producing a better product to be lifted up, and then we want them to get more sales. And that's where you go back to the decentralized model. People can review products. They can review farms. They can comment on farms. They can really get to know and connect with those farms. And the people who are producing a really good, natural, fresh product will see, they will prevail and that they will have more sales and they will get more traffic onto their website, um, on our, you know, their domain on our website. And there are a lot of cool different solutions that we want to pull out for that. But one of them is having a live stream on all the farms. So people can just go onto our website and see what's going on at the farm. Um, and I think that would, you know, bring a lot of verification to the product. Yeah, that'd be really neat, especially nowadays with how much media people are consuming about the things they do. And I feel if I was getting my fruit or vegetables from somewhere, if I could go and even if it was just a virtual tour, so it doesn't have to be a live stream. If I could go and just see what the facility looks like, I'd feel so much more connected to the things I was buying. And what's awesome about your platform is any farmer would want to be on it. There's because, no reason not yeah, to. Yeah, there's no be reason on it. not to. I could still be on uh, 
your platform and still do my normal business I'm doing. And then also it helps everyone down the line. I'm tired of going to Whole Foods and paying extremely high prices for a bunch of fruit I don't know where it came from, opposed to actually I would love to buy all of my produce from somewhere here in San Luis Obispo County. We have great sun, we have great farmers, and for most people I know, I don't know how to get it from them. I've, ha I've had those boxes where it's the subscription-based monthly where I get it, and I don't know what I'm going to get. It's kind of fun, but it would be cool to be able to go in and actually select the products I want to get. So right now with the app, if I was going to download the app, what sort of products are on there right now? Yeah, so we're uh, on the app. We're actually not running the app right now because we're taking this time to actually kind of rebuild the infrastructure that mm -hmm. um, was the prototype that had way too mm -hmm. many users. So the rebranding is going on right now of switching. Yeah, over. so we haven't built out the app yet. We built out the website and we've literally like worked 24 seven uh -huh. on the website over the last week and we have it working right now. But over the next couple of days, you'll see a big change. We have um, on the back end, we're doing a full you know, full revamp of uh, graphic design and everything like that. And that's, it's going to be really cool. Um, we have, Do you want to plug the URL of the, yeah, it, right it's a uh, harvestly.co and that's harvestly.co. And you can go on there and I'll talk about the products now. So basically we have, I think we're coming up on 70 different product offerings on the platform. Um, we have, I don't know, like 150 in the pipeline from all the different vendors that want to get on. But basically, because we are a decentralized model, the products are up to the vendors. So our most popular product um, is these local produce boxes, kind of like Tally Farms and stuff. But all the produce is from one farm in Royal Grande, the Pepper Creek family farms. So what she does is every week she just makes these little boxes and then she drops them off or I go pick them up and I drop them off. That's the most product we've seen. I don't know, we've sold, a lot of those. I don't know how many, um, but we, we've sold a lot of those. That's good to not know because it's too many. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The number's too big. And, um, and other products, like other highlights, we got um, Central Coast uh, Creamery on there. Their cheese is super good. We got the Vreamery. That's vegan cheese. It's super good. Um, that's been a pretty popular item. I was actually just dropping off a couple orders in Santa Maria for the Vreamery. Um, she's awesome and I'm, I'm good friends with her now uh, other products we got uh, a bunch of gelato just got on there I don't you know it's I think it's called Leo Leo gelato in um, Paso and they make really good gelato and it's all made to order so if someone orders off Harvestly they you know they need 40 48 hours they go make it and then they go drop it off so I think that's pretty cool um, other products and we just got a lot of products coming on there and over the next couple of weeks we'll have a lot more I think Today, we just got a bunch of kind of value-added products. Uh, it's The vendor is called Green Love. She makes elderberry syrup, hand sanitizer, like edible flowers, and it's all certified organic. And so those are some of the highlights, I think. Cool. Do you think you'd ever go to local wineries or breweries? That was my next question. Okay, so yeah. That, that is a huge market that we're kind of, you know. Dancing with. We're, we're keen on getting in there, and we will definitely be doing that in the future. Um, we are currently figuring out the legal issues yeah. with uh, serving alcohol, as I'm not even 21, so I can't <laughs> transport it. <laughs> well, yeah, if you went into the beer and spirits, I think you'd have a very high level response to the community. Yeah. One from people just who love local wineries, but also you have the college. Mm -hmm. Basically delivery of spirits. Yeah. And if you're knocking out that sort of price increase if you can turn a, if you could turn a t like a $20 bottle into even like a $15 bottle or an $18 bottle that's huge because there's always the things like oh this is a $20 bottle for a college student you're, you're like, oh it's a $20 bottle but if you're like it's a $15 bottle but it tastes like a $20 bottle there's some there's something there there's something to that where if you can just knock down the price even a, a couple of dollars it's huge yeah mm -hmm. and i i don't know the wine industry too well, but I do know that there are wine, wine distributors and that's how, you know, majority of the system works. So it's kind of the same model we apply there. And going back to beer, very similar thing there. I'm from Bend. We have the most breweries per capita in the world. And so, fun fact, you know, I, I'm, I'm keen on that whole market and we will be getting into it pretty soon. Uh -huh. Are you, I mean, obviously right now, cause everyone's remote at Cal Poly. Are you doing a lot within the Cal Poly community as with the student body, or are you mostly aiming at the community? And, at the and they're farming. Do they not have a pretty significant amount of farming? They yeah. do have a big farm, and 
to address the you know consumers at Cal Poly, we haven't been able to get in there too much just because no one's here. You got to get the Poly Dollar Exchange. I know. Okay, yeah, we really want to do you know we want to supply food to Cal Poly be, because we know that it's healthier, we know it's better, uh-huh. but. Um, they're pretty bureaucratic Big like, corporation. in their way that they operate, and I hate their food. Their, their food is horrible. So if I can get better food there, I would totally do it. They Shout just have to, to come to me. Or, hey, it was you know. before his time. Oh, no. Did you ever know what VG's was? No, I don't know that. VG's you're, was... You're better off. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great idea if you could get in with Cal Poly because Cal Poly needs better food. Yeah, and then the Cal Poly farm, um, I don't know if they have something against me, but they haven't been super um, you know, reluctant to get on the platform. I and, and we see that with a lot of farms in the county that don't necessarily trust me because we are coming to them with a really cool solution and we're saying it's free. And a lot of people think it's too good to be true. I'm some kind of, you know, scheme artist here. Mm-hmm. Um, but can tell. You know, yeah. <laughs> so over over the last couple of weeks, so we've seen a huge increase in interested vendors just because we've started to build that trust and those relationships with the vendors that are already on the platform. And, you know, when you, when, when some farmer... You know, at the, so I go to the farmer's market to pick up a lot of these boxes that um, are ordered from Pepper Creek Family Farms. And everybody else is seeing her do, uh, you know, $500 in boxes a week. And they're like, oh, my gosh, how do we get in on that? Everyone is kind of all the vendors are starting to say, like, oh, how can I do this? I, I think the other day, yeah, the, like two days ago, I just had a random tomato farmer show up at my house and just give me a bunch of tomatoes. And I was like. It's not really how it works, but I'll take these tomatoes. <laughs> um, so it's we're starting to get that reputation out there as trustful and, and, and people like us. So it's it's improving in that aspect. Yeah, it seems like with this idea, there will be a tipping point of right now. It's just getting out there, especially I'm not professional in the ag industry at all, but I was in uh, ag engineering originally at Cal Poly. And from what I know, a lot of um, family farms and or local farms are very much do it the way we've been doing it. Exactly. We don't need to do change because it's been working as it's been. But I think once you start highlighting actually how much benefit this is using new platforms and technology to integrate it into the business model now, I think the tipping point would come and then it's become a, become a vacuum. Yeah. And that, that is the hardest aspect of our business model is that farms, well, maybe other than the whole last mile issue, but um, you know, farms, are very old fashioned and you know they've been doing the same thing for exactly like exactly what you said for 50 years and you know to come to them and say okay we got this magic solution and it involves a computer a lot of people say oh well I, that just sounds no they just say no and mm-hmm. but over time we kind of slowly get access and you know we just had a couple of days ago the the farmers market wanting to work with us like the the countywide farmers market and so we're gonna start to be honest we're not marketing right now we're not doing anything this is all organic growth and i'm honestly at a point where i'm trying to pump the brakes a little bit in that you know we don't want so many transactions right now as we're still figuring stuff out Mm -hmm. but um, hopefully by next week we're going to be able to kind of push out um, the full product, um, the whole the whole offering, and have a really perfect uh, marketplace, and that so all these pieces are starting to come together, and you you can't see that on the the front end of our website, but um, probably on Monday or Tuesday we're going to launch the whole new um, the whole new marketplace. Cool, that's an aspect I never really thought of when you're saying integrating a new app or a new technology to these farmers. You have to really consciously take that into account when you're designing the app making yeah. it extremely, extremely easy for one, the customer, and then two, the producer. Because like you're saying, you have to actually sell this new method to them. Yeah, so we actually went through um, three different uh, vendor portals um, designs. So the first one was pretty rough. Um, it didn't really work. That was like two months ago. And so we didn't really launch it at all. And that these are the vendor portals. So this is where the vendor goes to sign up and add products and do all that cool stuff. Um, and then we launched a second one that worked pretty well, but there were some issues with the fulfillment and you know how do you get your product to uh, the delivery point. And then this this new one, uh, we we've been working on it for about uh, two weeks now, and it's it's pretty locked tight, and we really like it. We got a couple aspects to still figure out, 
but it is so simple. You just add your bio, you add a picture, and then you can add as many products as you want and you put your PayPal in. And then every time you get a sale, it sends you an email and you get money directly to your PayPal. So it's it's pretty perfect. That That's super interesting because I actually just took an agricultural class completely on accident, didn't even count as my graduating whole <laughs> story. But I took this class and it was actually incredibly interesting and I really enjoyed it. And they were saying how big data was just now reaching the big farms and they were using drones to figure out all these huge farms. But it's like part of the issue was because now they're going to be so efficient, it's really going to hurt the little person because they have also less access and less money for these improvements, but also they don't have the know-how because they don't have the money to hire someone at Cal Poly who's really both on the technological side and the farming side. And so I think this could help kind of accelerate them into the digital marketplace, which is something I think actual farms lack a lot, just any sort of connectivity to their customer, because I know zero farms here. Like I've lived here my entire life. And I, other than the one you've mentioned just now, I could not name you one farm in the area. Like they're not branded at all. Yeah. And I think this could really help bring into the forefront local places so the average person like myself who is not at all trying to learn this would learn by sort of osmosis you know and just get those names out there and that that actually that whole you know that is one of our goals is to increase connection with these local farms but that addresses a bigger issue i see in agriculture that has been going on for about a century now and if you've taken a um, a geography class you know that um, in, in general, people are urbanizing. So people move to cities, right? Um, that's what going on for, I don't know, 100 years now. Everyone's moving to cities. And so there is a, there's, a, there's this migration away from um, agrarian society. Agrarian society was uh, established, you know, when, when everyone came, when all the colonists came to America and they said, okay, we're going to, everyone's going to farm. Everyone's going to share their food and it's going to be awesome. And then at some point, everyone just was like, okay, let's make someone else do the farming and let's make them bigger and let's make them more efficient. And that's when you had the commercial farm born and that is conventional farming. And so everyone is moving away from um, kind of, you know, environments where you can farm and they're moving to cities, San Francisco, New York, Seattle, everyone's moving to cities. And that's been going on for about 100 years. And so people are moving away from that connection they have with the land and the, and the food. And so now people are just like reliant on their apple to be at Whole Foods for $3. They don't know where it comes from and they don't know who grew it. But people have become reliant on that and it's become very much so a habit. And to break that habit is really hard, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to kind of reverse that whole process that's been going on for the last century which is deconnection like moving away from the food we want to move you back to the food and we want to do that through technology and that is really the only way to do it at this point but that's that's kind of our goal yeah is the industry changing a lot as these new technologies are coming out because through my times at cal poly a new professor named bo lu who was he was in the brain department and he was working on some cool stuff with drones where they'd fly a drone over a field with infrared or whatever sort of vision they needed to analyze the crops, look for an abnormality in the soil. Um, and then that drone would communicate to a Wally looking drone, like a little Rover drone that would drive out there and take a soil sample and bring it back to a lab. Yeah. Is that becoming more and more prominent? Yeah, so in, in conventional farming, there's a lot of really cool techno- technology that's coming out. Um, I would say compared to the rest of our economy, agriculture is like, I don't know, 10 years like, ten years behind. Like we started implementing drone technology in a lot of other uh, industries uh, 10 years ago. But conventional agriculture is getting more and more technology every single year, and it's getting really smart. And so addressing that, you're you're probably talking about a conventional farm that's growing some some kind of wheat because or or corn and that technically i think is a wheat but um so uh, i think it's called the poa ace family and so that is a conventional farming for wheat dry land um you're not irrigating it so that is a totally different ball game and that is not a uh, an industry that we're going to ever be able to replace because to grow enough flour to feed the world, you do need thousands of acres. 
And that is not, you know, we're not trying to touch that at all. And there, you know, along the technology component, there will be creative destruction. Everyone is going to innovate and that's what's going to happen. So for, you know, the example that you're talking about, I'm, I'm assuming, guessing that's for some kind of dry land crop. And because, because that, you know, that's typically what you see, it's probably not for a field of strawberries. Um, so on that point, we're not really trying to address that market, but yes, technology is becoming more and more um, prevalent in agriculture. Um, something else that I was looking to touch on was like, you were talking about how organic there's some things that are organic, but like, it's really harmful for you. Have you learned anything in the ag industry that would like surprise most people? It's like, I saw this video and it was like, they took all their fruit and veggies and they put them in the sink with some apple cider vinegar and all this wax came off. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's not good. Um, but like, what is something that the average person might be like, Oh, that's wild. Didn't know that. Um, I don't know too many examples off the top of my head, but like, I don't know, even from, I mean, we, you can be certified organic and use dish soap in your garden to kill the bugs. I mean, that, and that's just a typical practice. That's if you look it up on Google, that's what it says to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and there are some, you know, in food safety, like the wax thing, that is uh, pretty needed in a lot of ways. But that is because you're going through the whole supply chain, and it takes three weeks for that apple to get from the farm to you. So if you cut that to a day, you don't need it. Um, so a lot of these issues that are you know, like the wax example that are very much so necessary right now, we can kind of remove those by cutting out the supply chain. Interesting. And would you ever consider something where to try and say we get everyone in a whole neighborhood growing food together, having even a more localized marketplace where it's like food on the block? You know, it's like, I need strawberries. I know John down on the corner is growing strawberries and I did whatever else. And Jane's growing it over there, like an online marketplace for even a closer knit community. Yeah. So that's actually totally our plan. Um, it's called community ordering. Um, we have a pretty much a strategic development plan for exactly that. But what we have to do before that is we have to grow enough users on this marketplace right now, and then we can kind of categorize. So if we have, you know, a hundred users in already in this neighborhood, we can start to, um, give out tasks. And then when you talk about a distributed ledger is what um, eventually we're going to be going towards is we have all this, um, you know, we know what people are growing and what people are consuming. So we can actually give out tasks. So if neighbor A is consuming um, a lot of apples, we say, okay, neighbor B, you got you to gotta start growing apples. Um, if, and then if neighbor C wants strawberries, we say, okay, neighbor A, you got to grow strawberries. Um, so we can actually um, to give out these tasks that say, okay, how can we support a neighborhood from within a neighborhood? Well, as so you can start to say, this is what people are wanting. If you would like to start making these profits and providing for them, we have this data for you that this is what the people want. Yeah, exactly. And that, that comes back to creating a perfect uh, market. Uh, if you talk about um, economics, uh, we want to reduce that amount of surplus there and to do that you have to know what consumers want and what is being produced so if we can match those two we create a perfect market really hard to do kind of easy to talk about um, but you know every every transaction that happens on our marketplace we are getting closer and closer to that um, perfect market yeah seems like you're trying to change culture and create culture yeah exactly which can be a hard thing but if catches on a very powerful thing and I think from where we are right now of like you're saying, I don't know where my fruit comes from. My veggies come from when I buy it from the store. I, but I think people who find an avenue for that would really support it. Definitely. That, that also like the individual farming on your property, kind of like in my class, we were talking about how we're running out of arable soil to grow stuff in because usually a farm gets started like, when a town gets started, there's a farm, there's food, there's water, like a, a river. So people start to build around it. And that land around that is the arable soil and people build on top of it. So you can't grow on it. And so we're going to be out of arable soil by like 2050 or whatever. Not good. Um, but if everyone was to grow in their backyard, you would expand that usage of arable, arable soil by X amount. Yeah. And so that I don't kind of- know. I don't know the specific statistics, but I know really that if everyone starts growing in their backyard, we will have enough food to feed the world. And that's a big issue when we, you know, every single time we hit a new milestone in in population growth, everyone's like, okay, how are we going to feed everyone? And it's going to be a big issue. 
and we can't keep doing what we're doing right now, which is build bigger farms, build it more conventional, increase efficiency. Um, we have to get, I think, we have to get everyone starting to grow their own food. Definitely. And that also brings me to another question. This is like the for ultimate argument in agriculture, raging debate. It's kind of a double-edged sword. GMOs. Where do you stand? Yeah, I mean, I don't have like a huge stance in GMOs because I don't hate them. I don't like. I don't totally like. You know, I don't understand the debate. Um, I, I from a. I, I don't totally know, but basically, I see a need for GMOs in a lot of specific crops, like the family that I was talking about, the Poaceae family. That's wheat. Um, you need it. Like it's pretty much impossible to grow enough wheat for the world if you don't have GMOs. Um, because you talk about, uh, you know, how do you kill off the weeds in your in your um, field? And if you went and saw an organic wheat field, it's disgusting. And you don't want that in your flower. It's just weeds, it's mustard, it's um, all these different noxious weeds growing in the field that you can't really do anything about it unless you have a GMO product. Um, and I see that in some other products too, like um, alfalfa, so that's the uh, that's again in the grass family and you kind of need it uh, it's really hard to do organic farming on a large scale like that and we need the we need the supply from that end and i i'm totally um kind of giving up on that market in that i know locally we cannot produce enough wheat or alfalfa or products like that to feed the world and that you know that's because it's large-scale farming you need it you need the efficiency there um but then when you talk about strawberries, um, or uh, strawberries is not a great example because there are some really cool scientific things going on with strawberries, like at the Cal Poly Strawberry Center. Stuff there is, is cool. But um, I don't know. Talking about you know stuff growing in your backyard, uh, I don't I don't think you need it. You can go pick the weeds. Um, it's just there's not a lot of science that says it's bad. There's not a lot of science that says it's good. Um, so I'm really in the middle. I think it's really needed for some products. I don't think it's necessary for some other ones. Yeah, I think GMOs have gotten a bad rap of more of an umbrella term of they're all bad. Obviously, there's ways you could genetically modify a fruit or vegetable that might have some risk to it. But in general, like you're saying, you need to be able to grow with the efficiency, making sure they have they can uh, resist diseases that will take out a whole entire crop and maximize need, yield as well. Exactly. And people need to reframe the way they look at GMOs of basically it's just what mother nature does over time, over time, over time. We just figured out the mechanism. Yeah. You like your border collie, your Labrador retriever. That's all genetically modified. We just learned if we breed these dogs together, choose one we like, breed those together. We've just now figured out how to do it in a lab, which yeah. people are upset with, but comes back to efficiencies and we now understand the world a lot better i think it came a lot from also monsanto they have like the ultimate bad rap of agriculture and everything that they were creating corn basically that was sterile if you will like mm -hmm. you basically buy all these seeds uh correct me if these terminologies are horrible but seeds for corn i guess um and you'd plant it and it would grow corn and then die and you wouldn't be able to replant from that okay. from that plant and the issue was like so you'd have to continually buy from them. You couldn't sort of recycle yourself. And those plants were getting cross-pollinated with neighboring farms. And all of a sudden, their crops were then sterile. So it was like suddenly you were having this expansion of sterile plants that you couldn't renew. Um, That's another huge component of well, what you just brought up of organic is, okay, what if you have your neighbor isn't growing, is growing some kind of GMO and a bee comes over and brings pollen from that one into your garden I don't think that's organic anymore, but you know, it's hard to control. It's it's there's so many variables here. You, it's not as you know, it, which is the case with a lot of controversies in America and in the world. It's not as black. It's not as black and white as you think it is. It's very much so more complicated. And I don't like to get into arguments with people about it because generally people don't know the whole back end. It's more that. emotional. But coming back to, I think. I read one of your pillars is to help solve world hunger and bringing that back to what you said earlier about everyone's moving to cities and moving away from the farms. And then you were saying about how people growing it in their own backyard, but in cities where they don't necessarily have backyards, do you see aquaponics or rooftop 
farming coming into a bigger play in the next 20 years? Yeah, so the model we built our, um, you know, development plan off of is, is Singapore. So what Singapore is doing is amazing. They're growing majority of their food within their country. And that's, you know, if you've seen pictures of Singapore, it is like just a city. It's there's just skyscrapers everywhere. Um, but what they're doing is they're vertical farming, they're hydroponics, um, lots of different cool technology there. And it's, it's categorized as smart farming. And so it's definitely an industry we want to go into. And we're working on a lot of blueprints to roll out um, smart farms. So, you know, we have solutions where we can, within a city, we can have a Harvestly um, smart farm where you can go to you know, pick your lettuce or do anything like that. And I think that's really cool. And that, you know. Well, so you're, you're saying almost like a supermarket, but you go to a local farm in your town where they're growing it in a yeah, greenhouse. Exactly. So well, we want to do kind of like um, a couple points there. We have ideas for like a mobile unit. So like, you know, you can drive around with all the food, like food growing in your back of your car uh, or, you know, it'd be like a big truck, but stuff like that. And then also within cities, um, we can have basically um, urban farms, um, rooftop farms. We can have vertical farms, all these different things where we can still have that connection between the food where it's grown and the consumer. Um, we just have to do it right. And, you know, starting to move towards that starts by figuring out mm -hmm. how to do it with real local farms here. Mm -hmm. That's uh, something I found really interesting on that was in London, I think it was, there's a company that's starting essentially like an indoor growery of any number of products. And they use the exact amount of nutrients this plant needs and they can generate the exact type of light it thrives under so they can grow at 20% quicker with 90% less materials. Like they can use 1% of the water that you would typically, you know, spray on an overall farm. And the issue is just simply economies of scale. Like you don't have enough of them yet to make it economically viable. Well, yeah. And you also don't have a marketplace. Um, exactly. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's the issue with a lot of these companies is how are you going to sell it? Mm -hmm. And then that's where we come in. Harvestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Harvestly. Uh, but yeah, around the world, there's a lot of cool innovation in the hydroponics and the urban farming. Um, but again, there's big one big aspect missing, and that's us. Um, and, and we know that, and so we'll figure it out. Yeah, with the vertical farming and the greenhouses, how it's changed. I went on a field trip once to Santa Maria, and they have, I think it's a three-story greenhouse strawberry farm out there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but really cool. It kind of just shows how innovative people are starting to think of how we know a lot more than we used to know 50 years ago yeah with bray a lot of the students in there when they come out they basically become they come out as a super farmer mm -hmm. basically if you grew up in the farm you know how to run a farm you know everything you know this time of the year this happens but don't necessarily know why you don't know the mechanisms of what's going on in the soil the microbes everything like that but when they come out they have this understanding and they are great for consulting with these farms just of, Hey, you guys are doing it this way, but you should switch this way because of this. And to a lot of them, it's like magic. And it would maybe be interesting if would you, would you ever consider having a back end side for the producers, almost like a consulting side between farms? Like, yeah. So that's a distributed ledger aspect. So if we have data on how everyone is producing their product, um, we can actually figure out how to optimize growth. Um, so if you say farmer A is growing with this specific technique and this is what their output per acre is, um, and farmer B is doing it a little differently and this is what their output is, how can we combine those two theories and those two techniques to actually increase both of their yields? Mm -hmm. um, so you know when you talk about these smart greenhouses, they're kind of all over the world, but there's no way to connect them, so we don't know what everyone else is doing. And if we can combine all these techniques, we can actually get to a much more efficient system. It's just that people have no way of sharing their data, their production data, um, but that's where we're going. Yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs we've been talking to lately, they've been speaking a lot about a very world change of going from scarcity to abundance. It used to be, say we were both making strawberries, we only had limited number of mouths that were actually gonna buy them, mm -hmm. but because of the internet and technology, us working together, teaching each other to become better, yeah. we can now reach infinite people. 
Yeah, so that's an access issue, and but but we still see on local farm scale that you know you don't have that access because you don't know any farms here, mm-hmm. um, even though there are you know hundreds. Yeah. Um, so that you know there are a lot of industries that still don't have that technology available. But I'm kind of saying, okay, let's let's figure it out. Um, so what my background, like what I really love, is is distributed ledger technology. So how can we use like all of the data in the world to create a more efficient system and let's make it decentralized so we're not making money on it um but you know it's very user-based so you get what you put like you get what out of it what you put into it um so i really like that model and i think it's the future i think it's called industry 4.0 and then talking about the global pandemic that is a catalyst to push us closer and closer to this uh, industry 4.0 i mean all the solutions for um, the coronavirus, uh, majority of them are based on a distributed ledger kind of idea, right? So tracking, um, people, you know, tracking, contact tracing—that's distributed ledger. That's a theory. Um, even the like the new, the new vaccines are built with a totally different technique than uh, than ever has ever been observed in uh, medicine before. It's it's. Um, RNA, I think I don't because I don't <laughs> yeah, totally know the medical no world, but you know all these different new techniques and new technology are starting to really get pushed on people because they have to. Like, what are you going to do in a pandemic when you can't leave your house? You got to use technology to get what you need. It's the only way to do it. And so, building out this solution right now is about the best time you mm-hmm. can do it. And kind of backtracking to the local farms, is there an aspect of seasonality for? Because obviously there's some times of year when you can't get certain things. And I assume because all the farms are in the same area, they would suffer from the same sort of seasonal issues. Yeah. So that goes back to like the agrarian society theory, which is, you know, you can grow everything you need in your, within, you know, where you're living. And it, it um, there are ways around it, like, you know, storing food and stuff like that. But um, I see the seasonality aspect as actually kind of an opportunity because if you eat seasonally it's um i think you're healthier i can't you know speak to any medical studies but if you eat what is grown in your area and you eat on its seasonal cycle i believe that you will be healthier um so you know even eating the honey that's in um, san Francisco county you're going to be less um, susceptible to allergies because that is what you're allergic to is the honey basically in in a theory but um so i i think the seasonal aspect is good um, but in some areas like where it freezes it's very hard to grow anything and we have other ideas for the places but we do know that a majority of our sales will be in the summer months when people are growing the most I also wonder if because in some ways people are also in summer months eating the most at home. It's nice outside. They want to go out and eat in their backyard and cook in their backyard that they would purchase more products for that. Yeah. Um, our our platform in general is a ginormous social science experiment, mm-hmm. um, like how to connect people with food. And that is a, you know, that's it's a huge question in psychology. And everybody that I've talked to in the field of psychology loves this just because it brings this whole new aspect of connection to food that we haven't seen before. And I, mean, I kind of always ask the question, like, is does your food taste better if you know where it came from? I don't know how to answer that question, but I, th- I, I think it does, but I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel behind creating this podcast of the media tastes better when it's from the people around you, of even where you were saying of like the package farms you're gonna pick your pack this program of here in san luis Obispo, we're gonna pick it up and now we're gonna do it in santa maria is almost what i feel slow pod is almost what every single town should do Mm -hmm. say santa barbara podcast where they are just promoting people in their community of people like you who are actually promoting more people trying to just communicate get everyone to better build the network yeah the network of getting tighter and tighter and tighter which now we have this platform of the internet to connect us of like this itself is almost a social experiment of seeing how much closer we can get everyone to know what's going on here. Yeah, I really like this whole pod, this podcast idea because it's about slow mm-hmm. and people care about that. And, you know, 
I really like the idea of community aspect and your listeners are probably in San Luis Obispo and they want to hear about what's going on in San Luis Obispo. Um, if you turn on, whether you watch CNN or Fox, like I, you know, it's all the same stuff. They're just crazy and they're getting mad at each other. Um, and it doesn't really talk about what's going on here. And I think that's awesome that you guys are doing this. Yeah. Thank you. Um, one last question I kind of had for you, snap your fingers, everything's your way. What is this industry like, like what is your ideal end goal utopian society utopian society for this farming industry paint us a picture so i want every single person in well i guess if we're talking about in the u.s um i want every single person in the u.s to have easy access to uh locally grown good food that's our mission statement and that's what i believe in and i want it to you know why i want that is i want it to improve people's health i want to improve lives with food and in a lot of ways it's the best way to do it you know you can give someone a million dollars but they might go you know drive a truck off a cliff or something. But if you give someone good food, they're going to eat it and they're going to be healthier. Um, so can't mess up bad food. Yeah. Or you can't mess up good food. Green exactly. juice. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really where I want to go with it. And I want to be able to give the local farms uh, access to a, a new market. Um, and I want that to be nationwide and basically yeah, every consumer have access to uh, good food that's locally grown. Sounds amazing. It seems like you could change the farming side of things because i know a lot of farmers they hardly make it by they have enough to do next year they have enough to do next year have a bad season next year's gonna be very rough because of how much how little they make per crop yeah and already we've seen um some of our farms their margins increase exponentially wow and their like labor has decreased as well because they don't have to worry like you know our platform gives them the ability to um manage sales manage inventory manage everything super easily so they're not like you know they don't get ten thousand emails of like orders and they just like don't know what what's going on right now you go on the dashboard you see your orders you see your inventory you see your sales and it's super easy so they don't have to worry about anything else Mm -hmm. except really getting the food like Mm -hmm. harvesting and growing the food well well i think everyone out there i think this the same way 20 years old Sky's the limit, man. You've got everything dialed in, and it's really cool to see someone like you making big steps like this. And uh, what fuels it? What got you here? Um, I, I don't really know. I've always loved solving problems, and whether it, you know, I, I also have another job where basically I just solve problems, and I love imagining ways to do new things. And, you know, I, I don't know. Well, there's a lot of different ideas I have, but basically in an, like in everyday life, I just, you know, I want to fix the problems that I have. And I know that a lot of other people have, um, right now, a lot of people don't have access to food because they, they can't drive because they don't have um, money. They are unemployed. Um, right now we're doing to, to solve that. I, um, created a program where people can go onto our website and order uh, free boxes of produce that are valued about $15 and I deliver them. Uh, it, it blew up. I donated my salary. It went crazy. And now we have lots of more donations. Uh, we have over a hundred orders. We've completed, I think 40 uh, free boxes now and fed 40 families this week. Um, and we're going to keep doing that. And, and that's an, you know, that issue is that, you know, people can go to a food bank, but a lot of people that are really struggling don't have a car and they don't have money for gas to get to the food bank. So, you know, bring it to them. You've got to bring it to them and you got to bring good food to them. And so just in general, I like solving problems and helping people. Well, you're solving a lot of problems. We I need can more tell you. in this world. Yeah. And, uh, towards the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests a book, their favorite book, something that inspired them, something that gave them drive, anything that you find that you liked in a book. It could be a fiction. It could be anything do you have a book on in mind? Um, I mean, I, I saw the play, um, the Hamilton play last year. And so it's not necessarily a book, but there is a book. I read like a quarter of uh-huh. it, but it's way too long. Um, but the play my, itself, like I, I love the story. And I think that inspires me to do a lot. Um, you know, it's a play that is set in whatever, you know, 1776, something like that. Along those lines. Um <laughs> And, but it talks about real world problems. I mean, people like uh, 
that are trying to you know help the world face a lot of issues and you know it's about keeping your head up and continuing on to solve these problems and you know every time i hear someone say like oh like you know that's not going to work you just gotta say you know whatever was said in the, i think the quote is um smile more talk less so you know you just got to work through it and you got to be happy about it and if you do it right and if you work hard enough there will be a big you know Absolutely. reward awesome yeah well i think what you're doing is amazing i'm going to be hitting you up for some veggies real soon um yeah if there's anything that we could ever help you with ever feel free to reach out we've really loved you having you on yeah, what you're, you're doing is awesome dude. extremely impressive yeah. guy can't wait to talk to you again yeah thanks so much for having me on um i i really like this idea and i love the slow podcast yeah where can people reach you right now you want to lay it all out there yeah you can reach us on our website at harvestly.co um and then you could all if you want to talk to me you can email me um my email is walt lafke um, at gmail.com and lafke spelled l-a-f is in frank k-y um and yeah feel free to email me ask me any questions i love talking to people Perfect. Awesome. And, and you guys also have an Instagram page. Oh, yeah. Our uh, Instagram is harvestly.co or underscore co. But, yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on. It was a pleasure. Uh, well, yeah, thank you so much. This is Slow Pod.